Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. At this um, kids party to go to and uh, it was a great party and uh, you know the thing about kids is they're just crazy they just do uh, whatever they want to do and don't think about the consequences and uh, they're all sugared up and soft drink and lollies and all the rest of it and then they decide to play these superhero games you know so they're dressed in like little mini Hulk suits and Spider-Man suits it's 30 degrees they're like nearly sort of passing out. I don't know if they're overloaded with sugar or if it's the heat exhaustion or whatever it is, but they're all dressed up and they're all running around. They're all having a great time. And it sort of got me to thinking, like, I remember when I was uh, a kid, you know, the kind of games that I would play and what we would do. And um, I used to play this awesome game when I was a kid. It's called 4040. Who's heard of that game before? Come on. I got a lot of support on that. And a 40-40, if you don't know, some of you do have your hands down. 40-40 is a great game. If you don't know, let me explain to you how the game actually works. See, what you need to do is whoever is it, right? Whoever's it is that you need to guard home base, okay? So you need to make sure that no one else can touch home base. So you close your eyes and you count down and everyone else would run away and they would hide in like neighbor's gardens and wherever it is and you would hide anywhere you could. When the person who's it gets to the end, they open their eyes, right? And then they start to look for the people that are hiding. Now, the idea of the game is, is that the people that are hiding, they have got to get to the home base and touch it before you can touch them if you were it. So then you're sort of looking around and if you see someone running for home base, you got to run and tag them before they can actually get there. That's the game, right? So you got to kind of protect home base. And uh, it's an awesome game and it reminded me so much of uh, this scripture that I read this week. And I want to talk to you today uh, about guarding what you're given. Uh, you know, sometimes you're given the responsibility of guarding something. I want to talk about that this morning. So I'm going to jump straight into the first scripture. If you have a Bible, you can go there right now. It comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 14. If you don't have one, no problem. I'm just going to read it for you. It says, this is Paul the Apostle. He's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, because he was in prison. He says, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Isn't that incredible? Before the ages began, if you just think about that. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me 
in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your presence today. And Lord, whether we just came because we were dragged here by someone or whether we come here every week, it really makes no difference. But God, I pray that today there would be something about this message that would make us stop and think about everything that you have to say to us. I pray that, God, we would be transformed by your word. And of course, God, we come to church to be transformed by your word. We don't want to leave here the same way. There's got to be something that you do in church this morning that speaks directly to us. And God, even if we're here and we think, man, I don't know if God has ever spoken to me in my life, I pray that this morning that we would hear our voice, to hear your voice, and that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be in tune, and our spiritual eyes would be open. We'd see everything that you want to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Who has a cool mum? Who grew up with a cool mum? Yeah, if you're, if you're a mum, you just look down the aisle at your kids. You're like, what are you going to do? You're on display here. Who grew up with a cool mum? And uh, you know, the thing about growing up with a, with a cool mum is that at the time, when you're a teenager, you never think that your mum is cool, ever. It's like you never look at what she does and go, Mum, you're so cool. Would you, hey, would you just hang out with me and my friends this week? Just love it if you do that. You never say that in your life. Uh, let me tell you something. The things, sometimes people actually said that to me. They said, man, your mom was cool, right? Let me tell you something. All the stuff that made my mom cool to my friends was the stuff that made her completely uncool to me. And uh, so let me tell you, because this is like an excerpt from my life, okay? So when I was like, you know, 16, 17, I'd be going to high school parties or whatever. This would be the kind of deal I try to make with my mom. I say to her, all right, look, I've got to watch on today. Uh, I'm going to meet you at the car at 10.30 p.m. Precisely. You don't have to worry about whether I'm going to be there. I promise you that I'm going to be there at 10.30 p.m. So when you come to pick me up from the party, there is no need to get out of the car. You just stay right in that car. You sit right there. I will not be late. I will not forget. But you sit in the car and just, you know, just wait for me. There's no need to get out. My mom would say to me, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll wait for you in the car. Now, who knows my mom? <laughs> right. So then at probably around 10 p.m., some of my friends would come over and they'd say, hey, man, I just want to let you know your mom's been here for about 15 minutes. She's over there talking to all those guys. I say, are you kidding me? It's like, we're doing this again? And so I'd walk over there and, uh, and she'd be in the middle of some conversation and there's laughing and all the rest of it, right? And, and, and I walk over and I say, Mom, what are you doing? Remember, we talked about this. You're, remember, you're going to wait in the car. Remember, we talked about this. You're going to wait in the car. And then I was going to come. It's not 10.30 yet. What are you doing here? You know? And because uh, you know why? Because I was embarrassed. And then I got a challenge on my hands. I'm like, do I leave her? alone. I'm like, all I want to do is to get away from the thing that's actually embarrassing me. But do I leave her alone with my friends? It's like an impossible situation. It's, it's a conundrum, right? But actually, now that I'm a parent, I think one of the greatest things I can do is embarrass my kids. 
because now I get to do it. And, uh, and I don't care. And so we could be sitting in the middle of the food court and I might just spontaneously break out in song or something, right? Now, I can't sing, which makes it even better. And, and the thing that I enjoy about it most is probably that I can't sing because they look at me and they're six, four, and one, right? And they just look at me like, what are you doing? It's like, we will leave you at this table all alone if you don't stop singing. And I love it. It's one of the things that I enjoy about being a dad is that I get to embarrass my kids. And you know what my kids want to do? They want to do the exact same thing that I wanted to do with my mom when I was in high school, which is they want to get away from me. So like, you can do this, but you're going to be on your own. So, so they, just want, they just want to leave me. Do you know why? i tell you why. Because people always want to like, hide and distance themselves from the thing that embarrasses them. It's just you want to put distance, whatever that situation might be, whatever that circumstance might be, whatever it is, it doesn't matter to you. You just want to put distance between you and the thing that is embarrassing you. And I looked up the word embarrassment, and you know what the word embarrassment it actually means? It means to be ashamed. And the word ashamed, you can be ashamed for a whole host of reasons. But here are some of the reasons you might be ashamed. You might be ashamed because of somebody's actions. Somebody, because of something that somebody does. You might be ashamed because of someone's characteristics. Have you ever had someone that you're friends with, but maybe they're a little bit dorky and they don't know it? And, you know, it's like, oh, you're so embarrassing. Do you have to do that when we go out? And that leads me to the other reason why people get ashamed. And it's because of association. And association is a really funny thing to be ashamed by because just being in the company of someone else that you're embarrassed by, you can feel ashamed by the fact that they're there. And you would see this at high school, oh, classic in high school, even primary school. If there is a kid that is not as popular as the, as the really cool kids because, you know, it doesn't matter in every generation, somehow there are classes of people that form really quickly. And so if there's someone who's not as popular... The popular people or even the people in the middle between the cool kids and the uncool kids, right? They don't want to hang around with the kid that's really uncool because they're worried that by association, it's like you might be able to catch it, like a sickness or something. So you don't want to be seen with the people that are uncool or unpopular or anything because by association, you could be ashamed to just be hanging out with them and spending time with them. I actually looked up the word ashamed and I found a couple of really interesting things. And one of the interesting things I discovered is that, you know, to be ashamed, ashamed is actually a, a social situation. You can't be ashamed unless you're in some kind of social environment because to be ashamed means that you have to be either comparing yourself to someone else or in the company of people that you feel ashamed by. It's the expectation that you project onto other people. And actually that word ashamed if you look up the root word of the word ashamed, it means to cover. It means to cover, like, you know, to be, to be ashamed. It means to cover, which I thought was really a, a, a cool connection. Because if you read the Bible, the very first time that anyone ever felt ashamed was Adam and Eve. And you probably heard this story. And long story short, they disobeyed God. And they were discovered. And then they got dumb immediately and decided to hide from God in the garden. And he comes looking for them and they were ashamed and they, they tried their best way to cover their, their shame. And so they, 
They, they tied fig leaves together. Come on, guys. They obviously weren't too bright. It's like fig leaves, that's not going to last. But here's something that God did. He did something really cool. He came along and he fixed it. So not only did he forgive them for the wrong thing that they did, but he also covered their shame. And he made a way to do it all at once. And I think that's so amazing. If you're in church and this is your very first time here, or you don't go to church very often, or maybe you just don't know if you believe in God, I want to tell you that we actually serve a God who likes to cover shame. We serve a God who doesn't expose your sin. Who does he, he, he might point it out to you, but he's done everything he can and everything he needs to do to actually forgive you of sin. That's the God that we serve. So we come to this scripture that we read today, and it's a letter written by uh, Paul the Apostle to his spiritual son, Timothy. And this is the second letter that he's written. He wrote a letter to Timothy, uh, it's called First Timothy, amazingly, and then he wrote a second letter, and they named that Second Timothy. It was a very clever, strategic move by them. And so he, he wrote this second letter, and Timothy is his spiritual son, and he's raising this church, and, 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 and things seem to be going well. And at the time that Paul writes this second letter to Timothy, you've got to understand something about the context. See, Paul writes this letter to Timothy from prison. He's on his fourth, was on his fourth missionary journey that you won't read about in the book of Acts, but he's there and he's writing from Rome and he's awaiting death. And the only reason that I point that out to you is because whatever he says to Timothy, this is his spiritual son. Timothy is leading a huge church. Whatever Paul decides to write in this letter should be of the utmost importance to all of us. Because they are the last words that Paul will say to Timothy. In fact, Paul says, you know, hey, it would be great, Timothy, if you could come back and see me. But he knows that he's in prison awaiting death. So whatever he says, the words of a person who's on death row are very important. We're watching a movie last night and this guy is dying in a hospital bed. The very last words that he says are important. And the very last words that he says are always honest. So we know that whatever Paul's about to say, whatever he writes in this letter, the one thing we can be sure of is that if he's ever fudged anything over that time, he's going to make it right in this passage. If he's ever said anything that's untrue, he's probably going to correct it in this moment. And so what he says to, to, to Timothy is something so significant. And he takes the time in the passage we read. And this is how he opens. And he reminds Timothy to do something that I think is so incredibly important. What could he say? What would be the most important words of a dying man? He says, I don't want you to ever be ashamed of Jesus or me because I'm suffering for him. The most important things that he could say, don't ever be ashamed See, I think that Paul is writing to Timothy because he knows that Timothy is running a church. And by the way, if you don't know, Timothy is an evangelist in the sense that he is often speaking to people about God and speaking out, oh, God is so good and you can follow him and he loves you and all the rest of it and making all these promises about what God can do and what he's seen over that time. And yet his friend is in prison and his friend is probably going to die. And so Paul is concerned that perhaps after his death, that Timothy is going to start to get intimidated by that circumstance, maybe become ashamed because the God that he's been promising to everyone is apparently not able to rescue his spiritual father. Come on, where's your, where's your God now? 
Where is your God? You're always, you're the evangelist. You're opening up your mouth all the time. You're always telling us how good God is. And yet your spiritual father is in prison and he doesn't, he, he gets beheaded in Rome. Are you kidding me? And Paul says, don't ever be intimidated by that. I don't want you to be worried. Don't ever be ashamed by me. And I'll tell you why he says this. He says this because he understands that when you're ashamed, you'll distance yourself from whatever is embarrassing you. And he wants to make sure that after he dies, the spiritual son will not begin to distance himself from Jesus. You need to know something really important. If you're ashamed of Jesus, you'll distance yourself from Him. Sure, you probably won't do it in this place. And we probably won't see it here. But you get into your work environment and, 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 and you can easily, really quickly, distance yourself from Jesus. And I'll tell you why this is so important. If you're ashamed of Jesus, newsflash, He's ashamed of you. He'll forgive you for all your sins. But if you're ashamed of him, he actually becomes ashamed of you. Let me read the scripture to you. It comes out of Mark chapter 8. For whoever is ashamed of me, and my words, this is Jesus. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed of when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you're ashamed of Jesus, he'll be ashamed of you. And the reason that he says this adulterous generation, if you think about that word adultery, it means that you're meant to be in a committed relationship, but you're unfaithful to that relationship. And he's saying there are some people that actually, in the right setting, you're so committed to me, like in church. You're so committed to me in this place but you're completely unfaithful around everyone else. You're one person here and you're another person there. You're unashamed of me here when you're surrounded by people that believe the same thing as you, but you're completely ashamed of me when you go out into the workplace. And it's, and it's a horrible thing for, for that to happen. I'm telling you right now, the gospel is the greatest message ever told. The greatest message ever told. You know, when somebody comes to you in your workplace and they say, how was your weekend? No problem. You've got plenty of answers for that. It's great. Kids party. Went to this, went to that. It was great. And then your big shot at, at, at being an evangelist is to say, and I went to church. And it's like, I was real brave. You slipped that in there. I went to church. And then they say, you go to church? And you're like, yeah, that's right. Yep. Now I go to church. They're like, so you're a Christian? Well, yes, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Actually, I am. I am a Christian. So let me get this right. You actually believe that stuff? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And it starts to get a little more uncomfortable. Because the closer that you are associated to Jesus, the more easily it is for you to become ashamed of Him. So when somebody really drives that point home and comes to you and speaks to you and says, so you, if they were to get the Scripture and go, you actually believe all 
of this stuff in here, you can say, oh, yeah, well, maybe I don't believe everything. I'm not sure about everything in there. You know, I mean, I just kind of go to church. You know what the really sad part is? If you're ashamed, you can have superficial conversations instead of spiritual and supernatural ones. And let me tell you something about the presentation of the gospel. If you read the Bible, the presentation of the gospel precedes supernatural things. Whenever people were breaking new ground, they would give the gospel and suddenly the miraculous things would begin to happen. There's something about preaching the Word of God that opens the door to the supernatural. Of course, you'll never know it if you're ashamed every time somebody starts to bring up the fact that you're associated with Jesus. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he says to him, oh man, I just want to make sure you're clear on what this message is. And he begins to do this discourse and this is what he says. First of all, Timothy, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember that He saved us. And that is an unbelievable positive side to this thing. That is a great message that Jesus saved us. Saved us from what? All right, well, here we go. I'm going to break new ground here today. Saved us from hell. I know I just said the H word. We don't really talk about that much, but Man, it's true. So he saved us from that. Jesus actually saved us. Come on, are you kidding me? Just try to get over the rhetoric for a second and just begin to play in your mind what that actually means. He saved us. Jesus, who needed nothing from us, came here to be human, to die for us in place of us, for our sins, for God so Loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And whosoever, whosoever would believe in Him would never perish, but they would have eternal life. Come on, this is unbelievable stuff here. This is amazing. He saved us. You know what? Something happened that's even more remarkable than that is when He saved us. He actually gave us a new identity. It meant that when the Father would look at us, instead of actually being coming to Him in shame for all of the sin and the wrong things and how we messed up and that we screwed up in life, we can actually have confidence to draw near to His throne of grace. Why? Because when He looks on us, if we're forgiven by the Son, then He sees the righteousness of Christ on us. And that is pretty amazing. He saved us and He changed our identity. And then, you know, Paul goes on and he says something else even more amazing. He says, not only did He save us, but He called us. He called us. Jesus calls to people. He's like saying, come, follow me. Come on. My sheep know my, and they follow me. He called us. And you know what? When it says He called us, He called us to what? A holy calling. Which means that you're saved on purpose. You're saved with purpose. There's purpose for you. You know what is amazing to me? If you even do a quick Google search, there's a lot of people asking what the meaning of life is. What's the reason for existence? Why, why are we here on this planet? And what is all of this about? And I reckon that if people actually connected to the voice of Jesus, that they might actually discover the reason why they're here. They might discover some purpose for their life. He called us and gave us a holy calling. Let me tell you something. You're sitting here today, you feel totally ill-equipped, don't sweat it. God qualifies the cold. 
So let me tell you something. You're gifted, you're called. God's put stuff in you that He actually wants to come out of you. You may not feel like you're in the season for it right now. Okay, great. I'm glad that we arrived there together. Let me tell you, there's a season after this one that's coming for you. You are called and given a holy calling. And then you know what he says? He says uh, something even more amazing. He says that you're planned because that holy calling was found in Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus, which is the gospel. You were planned before the ages began. Now, whoever you are and however you came here today, it is very easy for you to believe that you are the product of your parents getting together. It's very easy to believe that the only reason you're here today is because they fell in love. But let me tell you something. God plans purpose for people. And if you think about the complexity of the universe and all the different possible calculations would have to be taken into consideration to know that thousands of years ago when he created Adam and Eve before the ages began before them that you would be alive and here today and yet he knows that you were going to be here before the ages even began you were planned you know what that means if you were the result of a one night stand you were planned now, maybe your parents, when they got together, your biological parents, maybe you don't even know your biological parents, and maybe you've got a terrible relationship with them. But let me tell you something, that has nothing to do with your purpose because you were planned before the ages even began. You were planned by God. That means that people that are the results of one night stands, crack babies have a plan on their lives. Ice babies have a plan on their lives. You were planned before the ages began. And then Paul goes on and says, just so you know, I want to remind you of a couple of things because this story is so good. Let me tell you something about the story of the gospel. Jesus, when he did everything that I just said to you, not only that, but he abolished death. Death is the end of every hope, except if you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus. You know, the thing is, is that Jesus went to the grave, but the, but the power of death couldn't contain him. And so he was actually resurrected and he overcame. Now, people have been resurrected. And if you're new to this, I'm sure that sounds amazing to you. But trust me, it happens. People have been resurrected from the dead, but not by themselves. Except that when Jesus died, he was resurrected. Three days he was in the grave. He was resurrected. He overcame death, which means he brings what? Life and what? Immortality. Now, this is unbelievable but if you understand what I just said it means that you're actually going to die but you will be resurrected and by the way just so you know it's not some wispy spiritual thing intangible thing you actually get a new body there will be a new heavens and there'll be a new earth and you're actually raised to something that will actually exist I'm telling you right now this is an amazing story so now if you believe everything I just said which is the part of that incredible, positive, amazing, encouraging, life-filled, purpose-filled message that you want to hide from people? Which part of that is so uh, uh, shocking that you would actually want to hide it from people? The gospel is a message worth telling. So about seven months ago, I'm sitting at Subway in Baronia. And it's kind of a long story, but let me just cut it down for you. I'm sitting at Subway in Baronia, just enjoying a sandwich. 
And God gives me a word for one guy who's sitting in a group of three over by the bowling club, uh, which was awesome. But they were banditos bikers. And so this is true. And I said, let's go. So I got up and I walked over there. And have you ever walked up to a table of people you know? I want you to multiply that by the weirdness factor, and then you have some idea about what was facing me. And so I walk up, and here the three of them are. And I walk up and said, hi, how are you going? And they're all kitted up. They've all got their gear on, two guys, one girl. And they look at me, and I said, is this seat taken? Before they can answer, I invite myself to the conversation. So here I am, and I sit down, and I begin to speak to them. I said, Hey, I uh, just want to let you know that God gave me, I felt like God gave me a word and I'd, I'd actually like to share it with you if that's all right. And they're looking at me kind of weird. And uh, one of these guys goes, wait a minute, do you say to me that you heard God say something to you? I said, yeah, that's right. He said, what, like a voice in your head? And I was like, yep. <laughs> actually, that is what happened. But let me tell you something, there's a lot of voices that will speak into your head. It takes time to distinguish the ones that are the right ones to listen to and the ones that you don't want to listen to. And I'm pretty sure there's voices from God, and I'd like to give you this word if that's all right. He's like, what do you got to say? I said, well, I actually feel like you look tough on the outside, but you're pretty soft on the inside. And uh, actually, there's a pastoral calling on your life. And I'm not saying you're going to run a church, but I am saying that you're around a lot of young guys that need to be mentored and led. And you've got an opportunity to pastor them and to look after them and to speak into their life and to protect them. And that you should take that opportunity to do it because I think it's a gift that God has given you. And there's an opportunity on your life for that. And so they just looked at me. And the really big guy who had arms that were twice as thick as my thighs looked at me and he said, Have you got something for me? (laughs) And I said, nope. And the girl that was sitting there, she said, have you got something for me? I said, nope. They said, well, why don't we have anything? I said, I don't know. It doesn't work that way. I said, I asked God, but he's not giving me anything. It's just for this guy. And they're like, okay. And so then I said, "Can um, can I pray for you? And they said, yep. I said, all right. And then I asked for permission to put my hands on them, which is a very good move, strategic move. And so I placed my hands on their shoulders in the middle of Baronia outside the bowling alley. I just prayed for them. I prayed that God would bless them. And I told them about our church and said, you're welcome to come along anytime. I can guarantee you they haven't been here in the last seven months. You probably would have noticed them, but, but, but they received that invitation. So I got up from that conversation and I walked away and I looked back and all three of them were looking at me and they said, bye. <laughs> all smiles. I had no idea if they were going to believe me, but you know what? Not everyone's going to believe you. And guess what? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if people are going to believe you. It doesn't matter if no one's going to lean in and listen to what you're saying. But man, you've got to have something inside of you that is compelling you to say something. Because let me tell you, there is opposition that will come against you that will at every turn attempt to quiet your voice, to shut you down so that you don't say anything. Let me read a scripture to you. It says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to Jews and folly, which is really foolishness, foolishness to Gentiles. Gentiles are everyone who's not Jewish. So it's, it's a lot of people, but those to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. People, when you begin to share stuff that God is saying to you, are going to say, I want a sign. Some people are going to say that's just foolishness. But to the ones that Jesus is calling, something is going to be provoked in their heart and they're going to begin to speak and they're going to be, they're going to sort of engage with that thing that you're saying. And I want you to know that every time you want to hear or you want to speak out the gospel, you're going to hear a voice in your head. And let me just pick it for you ahead of time. So it's no surprise to you when you hear its voice. If you say what you're about to say, you're going to look so stupid right now. If you share what's on your heart with that total stranger, you're going to look like an idiot and they're going to laugh at you. And if you're a, a person who's trying to walk your, work your way up the corporate ladder, it is, it is corporate and, and, and uh, job suicide to admit that you're a Christian and that you believe in this stuff. And that's probably okay as well. Because you've got to say something. But you're going to face some kind of opposition that's going to prevent you from saying it. That's why Paul said, he didn't say, I know what I believe. He said, I know who I believe. Because when you go to say something, you're going to have a bunch of voices that are going to come into your head. He says, out of all the voices that are speaking to me right now, they're saying, shut up, you're going to look stupid. You say that, you'll never be promoted in work. You say that, that's the end of your career. You can just say goodbye to that. You say that thing right now, you're just going to look so dumb. And Paul said, I've learned to distinguish the voices that I'm not supposed to listen to and the voices that I am supposed to listen to, which is why he doesn't say, I know what I believe. No, he says, I know who I believe. The gospel, the presentation of it is always a spiritual battle. And do you know what the weapon of the enemy is to prevent you from sharing it? Shame. Because that's why you don't want to say it because you're going to look stupid. And that's a comparison to the people around you. And you'll be ashamed that you'll be pointed out. And so if He can shame you into not saying what God's put on you, He knows His plan will work because when you're ashamed, you'll distance yourself from whatever is embarrassing you. So here's what you need to do. You need to guard your heart and you need to guard your mind and you need to ask yourself the question, whose opinion matters more to me? Whose opinion matters more? So God's plan, your calling, it won't be taken from you. Let me ask you a question. Would you let someone come and steal something precious from you? Would you let someone come and take your calling and take your purpose in life? Would you ever let anyone do that? Because remember something, you only need to guard what someone else wants to steal. Otherwise, you don't need to guard it. There is a reason why He says, guard the deposit that's been put in you. You only have to guard what someone wants to steal. If no one's interested in taking it, you never have to guard it. You can leave it out in the open and it won't matter. But there's a reason why you're supposed to guard 
what God's given to you because the enemy steals people's calling and purpose by making you ashamed of Jesus Christ. When you're ashamed of Jesus, you stop guarding what you believe. You stop guarding what's been entrusted to you and you know you're ashamed of Jesus. This is how you know, in case it's you. You know you're ashamed when you hide what you believe. You know you're ashamed when you won't admit it. You know you're ashamed when you've been in your workplace for 10 years and no one even knows you're a Christian. That's how you know that you're ashamed because you've never actually spoken about it. If you're ashamed, you're going to start to distance yourself from Jesus. But here is something shocking that you may not realize because while you're distancing yourself from Him, He's distancing Himself from you. He says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father because I'll never be able to stand there and say, this guy's with me because you weren't. You pretended. You kept it hidden. You didn't tell people. And let me tell you, man, the one thing that you want when you're standing before your Father in heaven is for Jesus to say, I'm with him. I mean, I'm with this guy. I witnessed this guy over the course of his life. Continue to speak about me. I watched him continue to preach the gospel. I watched him continue to speak about the things that I gave to him. Man, God put a deposit in you. You got to guard it. And you got to guard it because if you don't guard it, you're not going to allow what God's put in you to begin to actually flow through you. I told you that He put something in you that He wants to bring out of you. Don't distance yourself. You'll lose it. Guard it. Protect it. Begin to let it flow out of you. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.